Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Congregational Care Minister Keith Maloney. I'm Keith Maloney. I'm one of the ministers here at Greenville Oaks, and Wade has invited me to share a message with you this morning as he is away, and I'm thankful for the invitation. And I'm really glad that you're here. It's wonderful to share in this time together. This is, of course, Independence Day weekend. Tomorrow, our nation celebrates the 246th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And uh, it was a journey toward freedom. Uh, we have more freedoms in this country than any country in the world. If you've traveled much, you've probably realized that. And it's something for which we need to be thankful. Thank our God for what he has provided. We cherish freedom in this country. But there's been something interesting happen in recent years. We don't always want other people to have the freedoms that we want for ourselves. Have you noticed that? Just because... We want to be free to think as we want and to live as we feel like we should. Sometimes people think other people, other people ought to do it exactly the way they do, see it the way they do. There's a polarization in this country unlike anything I've seen before. And I lived through the 60s, folks. I mean, okay, it's, it's really significant. Maybe it's just because it's more blatant, more crude than it's been in the past. But <clears throat> that's nothing new. It's been around a long time. In fact, it was around in Jesus' day. Uh, Jesus had people, the religious leaders, actually, that really got upset with the way he represented the kingdom of God and the people he associated with especially. You see, Jesus attracted losers and rejects, sinners, people that were just not somebody people wanted to hang around or thought much of. And he attracted them like some people collect stray dogs and cats. And it drove the religious leaders nuts. They were always fussing and fuming, cussing and discussing about how Jesus would interact with these people. And there was one occasion when Jesus responded to what they were saying. It's in Luke 15, if you want to turn there, we'll be looking at that this morning. But they're talking about how horrible it is that Jesus is accepting these lowlifes. And Jesus said, you want to know why I accept these kind of people as my followers? You want to know why I hang out with so many people that you think I shouldn't be with? Let me tell you a story. He said there was a father who had two sons. It was this man was a very respected man. He was a wealthy man, one of the leading men in that whole region, the most respected man in his village. And one day, his younger of the two sons, probably about 18 or 19 years old, came to him and he said, give me my share of the inheritance. Now, there was no law or custom of the ancient Near East that would have allowed a father to give a son his inheritance before or while he was still living before he died 
Kenneth Bailey, who for years was a missionary over in the Middle East, he would travel to the various villages around and see how things were. He would tell stories, some of these stories that are in the Bible that they would never have heard before. And when he would share this story that Jesus told with the people, the, he would stop at this point and ask the people in his audience, what is it that the son is saying to his father? Because you see, today, very little has changed in the norms and the cultures of life in rural areas or small villages over in that part of the world. So we would say, what, what is the son saying to his father? And every time, he would get the same answer. The people would say, the son is saying to his father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. How disgraceful, how insolent. Perhaps the only thing more surprising than this request that the son makes of his father is the fact that the Father grants his request. Amazingly, the Father agrees to this. Now, under the, the rules of inheritance of that culture, uh, the oldest son would get a double portion. Since there were two sons, the older son got two-thirds, the younger got one-third. And typically, the wealth, the inheritance, was largely centered in property. So in order to realize the benefit from his inheritance, the son had to take a third of the father's property and sell it, cashing in on it. What that did is it reduced the land that would generate income to support the father's household, the family and extended family and servants. It reduced it by one third, making a significant negative impact on his family. But he sells the land, and then Jesus says he goes into a far country, which is to say he gets as far away from that place as he possibly can. He wants to go to a place where nobody knows him, nobody knows anything about him, nobody knows what he's done. And he goes to this place with his money, and he lives his life lavishly. He spends his money freely, and everywhere he goes, he has a thousand friends as long as the money lasts. But inevitably, the money runs out. And when the money is gone, so are his friends, so-called friends. And he has nothing. He has no place to go, nowhere to turn, no one to help him. He's in desperate straits. And then Jesus says he joins himself to a citizen of that country. When he says he joins himself, it doesn't mean he hires himself out as a hired hand. Uh, several years ago, we were in a third world country traveling, and we were sitting in the evening outside at uh, a restaurant out on the tables under the patio. And as we were eating, a little girl, maybe this tall, came up to us, and she apparently couldn't speak English, but she held out a tiny little package of chiclets gum. Remember those? Little chiclets gum. And she wanted me to buy them from her. And so I, I reached in my pocket and took out a few bills and I handed them to the young girl. And she offered me the gum. I said, no, you keep, you keep the gum. And she got this big smile on her face and she ran off. 
wasn't but a few minutes later that a young boy came up to us, older than the girl. He could speak a little bit of broken English, and he wanted to sell us something. I go, okay, I know where this is going. No, we're not interested. And then another came up and wanted to sell us something. No, no, thank you. We're not interested. And then we, we got up to leave, and they wanted to carry our packages for us. No, no, we, that, that's okay. We've got them. Thank you. And then they wanted to give us a tour of the little town we were in. No, 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 that's okay. And then they wanted to wash our car or stand guard over our car while we went into the shop or whatever. And we, they, were just, they just made pests of themselves. They joined themselves to us, which is what this young son did. How do you get rid of a pest? Well, this citizen of the country looked at this son and he could tell by his clothes and his talk that he was a Hebrew guy. And he's, so he says, okay, boy, I'll give you something to do. Come here. You see over there? They're, they're, my pigs are over there. Go feed my pigs. Because he knew no self-respecting Hebrew kid would ever have anything to do with the pigs. But to his amazement, this guy is so desperate that he runs to take care of the pigs. And while he's there in that pig pen, he is so hungry that he thinks about maybe eating some of that slop that he's been feeding him. And it's there in the pigs that his thoughts turn toward home. He's not thinking about going back at this point because he knows something of what he has done to his father and to his family and by extension to the whole village. He has brought such disgrace on him. But it's okay because he's not planning to go home anyway. But he's there and he's going to find his way to take care of things. And then he realizes he can't. He realizes he's hit the bottom of the barrel. And he turns. I don't think he's repenting here. I, I think he's just trying desperately to find a way out of the predicament that he's in. But he devises a speech. He says, I'll, I'll go back to my father and I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me a hired servant. And he gets up and he begins to go toward his home. Because if he can just be a hired servant, maybe he can gain back some tiny bit of the self-respect that he's lost. Maybe if he can work hard enough and long enough, he can show people that he's become a responsible person, that he is somebody who will do what he needs to do. In fact, if he can work long enough and hard enough, maybe he can earn back just a tiny bit of the money that he has taken from his family that's produced a hardship on them. So he begins to make his way back to his home village. And as he does... As he gets closer to the village, his heart sticks in his throat because he knows what he's going to find when he gets there. As he approaches the village, he'll get to the outskirts of it and, and he'll see some children playing in the yards or on the road. 
And they will look up and they will see him and recognize immediately who he is because he was the golden child. He was the fair-haired boy. He was the one that they so wished they could be like. More, more lately, he has been the one against whom his parent, their parents have warned them when they got out of line, you don't want to be like that guy, do you? They will see him and they will stop their playing and they will come and begin to taunt and jeer and ridicule him. They'll call him names like Bartimaeus, which means son of filth. Other people have been given names like that and it's stuck with them for the rest of their lives. But then as he continues through the street of the village, the other people in the village will hear the commotion that the kids are making as they're jeering him and ridiculing him. And they'll come out to see what's going on. And then some of the young men will see who it is and they too will begin to join in the ridicule. Only this time their taunts will become more physical and they'll shove him or push him or, or maybe hit him. Or maybe they'll even pick up a stone and throw it at him. And it's through that gauntlet that he is going to have to make his way through the village to his father's house. And he dreads it terribly what he's going to face. He also dreads what's going to happen when he gets to his father's house because he knows what to expect there as well. When he gets to the gate out in front of the father's home place, there'll probably be a young servant boy standing there. And the, as he sees the son coming up the road, he will recognize him. He'll run into the house and he will say to the father what the father probably already has heard. Your son has come home and the father with clenched teeth and steeled eyes will say make him wait and after he has stood there in front of the house waiting for permission to enter still being ridiculed and attacked by all these people the father will finally say to the servant okay send him in and with the weight of the world on his shoulders, he will take steps up and into the house. And when he enters, his father will say to him, how dare you? How dare you disgrace our family the way you have? How dare you bring such horrible horrible disgrace to us, to, to me, to yourself, to your brother, to our entire family, and even to this village. And live your life the way you have lived and then come back here. And he'll reach down and pick up a handful of dirt from the earthen floor and throw it in his face and say, who do you think you are? The son knows what to expect. But what he doesn't know, what he, what he has never seen, what he, what he couldn't possibly imagine is what his father has been like all this time. He couldn't, couldn't conceive that his father, every day since he left, had been in the morning getting up and climbing the steps to the rooftop of the house and standing there and looking out over the horizon 
toward the place where his son had gone, wishing, hoping, longing for his son to come home. But this day, when the, when the father goes up to the top of the house, he sees a figure off in the distance, almost at the horizon. And he wonders who it could be, hoping against hope that it's his boy. And he waits and he watches and he sees this figure getting closer. And as he watches him walk, he thinks, I think that's my son. And he gets closer and the father says, I've got to go see. And he rushes down the stairs and he rushes out the gate and he does what is absolutely unthinkable. The father runs. No Hebrew father would run. Men in the Middle East walk. And a dignified man walks slowly. Because to run, the man would have to reach down and lift up the bottom of his cloak that would be a narrow thing around his legs. And he would have to lift it up so he could run, so he could stretch out his legs. And when he did that, people would see what was underneath. They would see his underwear. How disgraceful. But the father lifts his robes and he runs through the streets of the village to meet his son. And now the eyes of the people in the village that would have been focused on the son and his disgrace that was so deserved are instead focused on this shocking behavior of his father. And the father runs through the streets of that village and he finds his son and he embraces him. And he hugs him and hugs him and he just won't let go of him. And he kisses him and kisses him and kisses him again. And for the first time, the son sees. For the first time, the son understands how much his father loves him and how deeply he's broken his father's heart. And the son's own heart is broken over what he has done to his father. And he changes his speech. I've often heard people say that the father interrupts the speech, but there's really nothing in the text to suggest that the father interrupted the speech. He just makes a different speech. He says, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. In essence, he says, I am so sorry. I'm so very, very sorry. Well, by, by this time, the servants have caught up with the father. And they're standing there looking on in disbelief. And the father says to the servants, go get the best robe. Who owns the best robe in the house? The father does. You go get my robe and you bring it and put it on my boy. And then you go get the family ring, the symbol of authority of our family, and you put it on his hand. And then you go get some sandals 
and you put him on his feet. A slave walks barefoot. A son wears shoes. And then you go and you heal the fattened calf, that prime beef that we've been raising and saving for the special occasion. You go butcher that and roast it and invite all all the people of the village to a party because we're going to have a celebration like this town has never seen before because my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead to us and now he's alive again. Jesus said, you don't know why, you want to know why I hang out with sinners and reprobates and rejects and losers because that's who God is. The heart of God loves every single person on this earth. And he climbs up the stairs to the rooftop of heaven and looks out over the earth, hoping, longing for his children to come home. And when they do, he doesn't wait for them to walk through the gauntlet of the village. He runs to meet them. And he doesn't require that they get everything right. These people who have done their own thing, gone their own way, made horrible choices, made a horrible mess of their lives, and squandered everything that the Father has given them. He welcomes them back as his son and as his daughter. And he says, this is my son. <clears throat> Jesus wanted the religious leaders to understand that it's not by anything they do, not by anything that any of us do, that makes us children of God. It's simply his incredible grace and mercy that he so generously lavishes on us. Well, the older son returns home at the end of the day. He's been out in the field working all day long in the heat of the day, supervising the servants. And at sunset, he comes home. And as he begins to get closer to his house, he hears some commotion that he is puzzled by. He can't figure out what's going on. It sounds like there's music and laughter and dancing. Because you see, when they have a celebration like this in that part of the world back then and still today, what they would do, they would, ha they would have some music. Typically, it would be a flute and maybe a drum and somebody playing something like a bagpipe. And, and, and there would be this music, and the, the men would all gather in a circle, and they would lock arms, and, and they would dance this way, and then they would dance this the other way. And the women would be in a circle around them, and they would be clapping and laughing and singing, and everybody would be having a wonderful time. You've seen these pictures in the movies or in documentaries of the, 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 the dances that they do in their celebrations at a Jewish wedding or something like that. That would be going on. And the older son hasn't heard anything like that happening in his family in a long time. 
and he can't figure it out. So he gets up to the front gate and he asks that servant boy, what in the world is going on? And the servant gets this wry smile on his face. And he says, you're not going to believe it. You're just not going to believe this. Your brother has come home. And your dad is throwing him a party like this town has never seen before. And as this sinks in, the older brother's forehead wrinkles and his hands are drawn into tight fists and through a clenched jaw and gritted teeth he says to that servant you go in there and you tell my father i'm not coming in i won't go in because the son knows what his role will be as the older son, the oldest son. His role will be to say to the guest of honor, which is his brother, you honor us by coming into our home today. His role is to say, my father wanted me to welcome you into our home. And my father wants you to have the best of the meat and the best of the wine as he serves them this. And he will not do it to the one who has hurt him so. And so the servant goes in and tells the father what the son has said. And again, there's a scandal. Again, the, by rights, the father should say to the servant, you go tell him he has to come in here right now because he is being rebellious and he deserves to be punished severely for that. But again, for the second time in the same day, the father, instead of allowing one of his sons to bear the disgrace that they have brought on themselves, he allows it to be laid on him and he goes out in front of the house to talk to his son and when he gets out there before he can say anything the older brother says to his father look here you listen to me no respect just attacking him he says I have done for you everything that I have been supposed to do all my life. I have, I have followed the rules. I have obeyed what you've asked me to do. I have done everything a good son should do. I have gone out into that field and slaved every day. I have kept all the rules. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I have never brought any shame or disgrace upon you or upon this family. And you have never given me a party. You have never killed the fatted calf for me. You have never even killed a goat for me. And it's not fair and it is not right that this brother, this son of yours, he won't even call him his brother, this son of yours, after all he has done, comes home and you do this for him. And I won't stand for it. 
And the father listens to the son and then he says, dear son, calls him the most endearing term he can, my dearest boy, don't you realize that everything I have is yours? I have always treated you as my son and given you everything you deserve and more. You act like I've treated you like a slave. I've never treated you that way. Everything I have is yours. But the son who was lost is found. The one who was dead is alive again. And I will not, I cannot turn him away. We have to celebrate that he has come home again. We can sit here in our religious goodness and do all of the right things and obey all of the rules and know what God wants and try to honor Him. And we can look at those poor, pitiful, pathetic people who have made a mess of their lives and think that there's no way God could love them like he does us. But the truth is God loves every single one of us the same. Every single one. And when we're, whether we are a younger son or an older son he wants us to be at home with him the story doesn't end Jesus doesn't tell us how it ends it just stops right there Jesus tells this long story and then he just stops there's probably a couple of reasons that he doesn't finish the story. One is because of whom it is addressed to, the religious leaders. <laughs> and they understand exactly who represents them in the story. They know very clearly who it is. It's the older brother. They should have known better. Will they ever I mean, the reason that Jesus doesn't finish the story is because it hasn't yet played out in his life. It's still in process. Will they understand the message he's bringing? Will they accept the reality that it's not by anything they do that makes them belong to God, but what, but only God's grace and his mercy that makes us his children? Well, we know how the story plays out in Jesus' life. They don't accept him. They take him out ultimately onto a hillside with a cross. If we were to finish the story the way Jesus has been telling it, 
at the end of the father's impassioned speech to the older son, the older son would pick up a stick and beat his father to death. But I think there's another reason that Jesus doesn't finish the story. Because it's not just about religious leaders in ancient Israel. It's about us. You and me. Us good church-going folk. Those of us who haven't made as much a mess of our lives as some people. Those of us who obey the rules and do what is right and try to do what we understand God wants us to. And he wants us to understand just as he did those religious people that it's not what we do that God's love is based on. But it's only based on his immeasurable, limitless love for us and his grace and mercy to us. He wants both his lost younger sons and daughters and his lost older sons and daughters to come home. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you so much for the incredible mercy that you have. The limitless love that regardless of how big a mess we've made of our lives is still just as strong, just as limitless as ever. Father, keep us from thinking that it's what we do that causes you to love us. Father, help us to not squander all that you've given us. But may we always recognize that it's your mercy and your love that our relationship with you depends on alone. And allow us to enjoy the freedoms of being your child without limits, without strings, and to experience the wonderful blessing of living with you. For it's in the name of the one who died to make that possible, the name of Jesus we pray, and amen. Would you stand? May God enable every single one of us to understand his love for us and his love for every single person in this world. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.